a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome, my friends. Welcome to the pod. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. What are you guys drinking this week? What you got? Uh, I'm uh, two-fisting it. We're only doing one recording tonight, I am aware. Uh, but you know me. It's classic Emily fashion to have two drinks. Uh, so my first beverage is a nice, tall, cold glass of eggnog. Oh, Ooh, my gosh, wow. y'all. I have been craving eggnog, and I saw it in the store, and I just had to get it. So that's my first beverage. Uh, my second beverage, since we're having like 30 mile per hour winds tonight mm-hmm. and it's just already cold, even without the wind, uh, I have my classic British blend tea, my personal favorite beverage of choice. So, Lovely. are you a hot eggnogger or a cold eggnogger? You know, it kind of depends. Like, since I'm having. Or lukewarm. Well, so since I'm having a hot tea, I'm having a cold eggnog. Mm. But I can have it really at various temperatures. I like a hot nog if it's like a latte, but otherwise I go cold. If it's straight, I go cold. Yep, straight, cold. Mm -hmm. I like that. That sounds nice. I actually thought about drinking an eggnog drink tonight because I do have rum and Elise brought me some eggnog. Mm. But I decided next time. Rum nog. Okay. Rum nog. Rum nog. Mm-hmm. A rum nog latte, I think, is the best hard coffee drink I've ever had. Pro tip. Oh, that sounds phenomenal. Oh, I haven't even thought of that. I'm going to have to give that a try. Got some depressants, got some stimulants. What's up? <laughs> it's truly it's... the best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah, they kind of meet in the middle. Speaking of depressants, I am drinking a mezcal drink again on the show. Uh, I've put some ginger beer in there, and I stole slash I get it for free, some strawberry lemon simple syrup from work, and it is oh, delicious. Oh, well played. Oh, wow. Well played. Josh, I just, I just have to say, when you describe your drinks and concoctions <laughs> that you have when recording, it just makes me so happy. Like, I just- Aww. I catch myself like drifting off and like imagining you creating these beverages and it just, I don't know, it just gives me joy. So thank you for always like really elaborately describing what it is that you make and how you make it and where you get it from because it just completes who you are. It's just wonderful. Thank you. Oh, I like that. Josh really cares about what he's enjoying. He does. And that's what I love about it. A good drink is worth it. Stephen, what are you drinking? It's very good. I am following Emily's lead today. I have two drinks on my uh, my side table here. Ayo. First, I am going to enjoy <laughs> what looks like it's a very generous pour, friends. So probably a double shot of uh, Lagavulin 11, the Offerman Limited Edition oh. that is finished in Guinness casks. Okay. Yeah, it's a very delightful, smoky, 
scotch whiskey, but it has a very like smooth chocolatey finish with that Guinness cask finish oh. on the method. Delightful. Mm. Um, and then I thought I might sip on some water between that and a nice key lime LaCroix. So that's the second drink <sighs> I have up here. You'll know when I'm ready for it because you'll hear me pop the can. Yes. All right. That'll let you gauge how quickly I drink all this whiskey. <laughs> Will you remind me what a double pour is? Does that mean two ounces in liquor world? Yeah. Okay. So it's a, this is a healthy amount of whiskey. And I wasn't kind of, I just wasn't really paying attention. I just poured. Hey, it happens to the best of us. We're That's what I did it. with the Mezcal. Cheers, I have no friends. idea how much is in there. Cheers. I'll drink to that. I love it. Clink, 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 clinking glasses. <laughs> so I was looking at my notes just recently about like things that I've been thinking about um, or like topics that I've wanted to touch on on Ravel that we just haven't gotten a chance to. Mm. And I think I want to return to a topic that we rouletted away from when <sighs> we rolled the dice one time and I gave it as an option. So one thing that's been rattling around in my head over the last like six months or so is the relationship between oppression and persecution, especially when it's involving Christians of some sort. Like, I feel like I see a lot of similarity between just the concepts of oppression and persecution, but they're often treated as like, like whether you want to talk about like the Southern Baptists getting all up in arms about critical race theory or like actual church persecution in the past, I feel like a lot of people go to extremes and I'm just like not really sure like what the deal is there. For instance, one thing I'm thinking about is like some people just deny that people are oppressed. But then on the other hand, there's almost this uh, fantasy of persecution in American Christianity. Mm. And like, mm -hmm. I don't see how you could say both because like, I feel like oppression and persecution are like two sides of the same coin almost, right? Mm. Or th the other thing I'm thinking about is I think that kind of along the same lines of the like fantasy of persecution is the denial that other people are persecuted or oppressed. Mm, uh-huh. So I'm not really sure where to go with it, but like I see an interesting relationship there, and I'm not really sure that we've given it, I don't think Christianity at large has given it like a good amount of critical thought in like our current era. Or maybe we have and I've just missed it. I don't know. What, um, can I ask, what was it that sparked this for you? I don't know, probably COVID and like the the rise in some Christians feeling like their personal beliefs are being discriminated against or they're afraid that their personal beliefs are going to be discriminated against and just like that general like end times anxiety working its way into like whatever our current political climate is. Mm -hmm. But then like also like this last year and a half of COVID has been what I think we will look back on as a very monumental time in the race history of the United States. And even like recently, like recently there was the Rittenhouse verdict in Minneapolis, or no, Wisconsin. And I just feel like those words are thrown around a lot. And a lot of people like to use those words, oppression and persecution to self-describe, I think. And yeah, I don't know. I'm not really sure, sure like where to go with that. Mm. I don't really have like a question in mind. I'm just like mm -hmm. kind of puzzled by like how they're used, I guess. There is a bit sure. of, there's an odd like hypocrisy you can pick up on when a Christian group famously holding counter protests over the last year or so 
um, big worship nights in cities. We know who we're talking about. Um, when people like him and people like them are like, we are being persecuted for our beliefs and they would probably like maybe oppression is synonymous, but they're not giving it that credit because they outright reject the idea that any sort of racial group does experience some form of oppression in our country at the same time. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's just something where it's like, is there, is there an effect of like, it's only real if I'm the one experiencing it. Otherwise everyone is just being a bunch of babies and calling it oppression when it's not really oppression. Sure. Like you want to claim it for yourself when convenient, but you know, somebody else is making the same cry and you're like, Oh, that's not real. You know, like gaslighting Mm -hmm. into being like, that's not really how the world is presenting itself to you. Yeah, that's tricky. Here's a question that I've never thought about until this present moment. You know how like there's this historical correlation with black Christians and identifying with the Israelites in the Exodus, like especially among like, yeah, like liberation during the slave era. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. The growth of liberation theology. Do you think that there is a similar correlation with white Christians identifying more with the early church and the governmental persecution oh, of Rome? Oh, mm. um, I don't know if it necessarily has to be white, but I, I guess let me interrogate that for a sec. I don't know if there is either. I've been in groups who are definitely like that. I mean, I think about uh, the famous um, cake baking thing that happened a number of years ago, right? And then Christians were all up in arms about how the church was not going to be separated oh, from yeah. the state and they wouldn't be allowed to like refuse to perform marriage for same-sex couples. And it was a whole mm-hmm. big thing, right? Yeah, in that case, it was very, very heavily framed as like, oh, government persecution, government oppression. What was that, like yeah. 2010, 20... 20- yeah. No. No. That was like 2014, was like 20, 15. Right. Something like that. And I guess now that I'm thinking about it, the groups I've been a part of that have used that language are very much predominantly white, if not 100%. So maybe you're onto something, Josh. Yeah. But like at the same time, I can see an argument being made for oppression and persecution like not being that different. Like mm. in like for instance, in both of those biblical examples, it was like governments trying to control a minority people group that was religious. Those two situations weren't that unsimilar. They were just in different eras, oh, you know? Sure. So I don't know. It is interesting to me that like there's like some differences in relatability to the biblical text. I think what doesn't get talked about, which probably ought to because it's pretty prominently featured in the book of Acts, is the fact that a lot of the persecution of the people who are following the way, right? The Jews who are following the way, which was like following Rabbi Jesus post-resurrection was most of the persecution was coming from other sects of Judaism and not the government of Rome. It was other religious sects. Oh, like mm-hmm. Saul mm-hmm. famously mm. was involved in persecuting and putting to death people who were not following right. Orthodox Judaism oh. of the time. What a good point. Yeah, that is a good that point. Is, that is such a good point. I would have never even thought of that. Hmm. Do we see that happening, do you think, in the Christian realm? Like, 
denominations persecuting other denominations? Uh, I mean, quite a lot of conservatives don't like us type, us deconstruction type, <laughs> right? <laughs> I guess the, the more glaring version of it I have sensed in my community over the years is Islamophobia. Mm-hmm. And, and not very subtle either. Um, even the no. even the fear of my Montana representative, like having 150 Afghan refugees move to Missoula, right? Made some pretty awful statements about it when that happened. Yeah, well, especially when you think of that part of the state has like one of the highest. I don't know if it's the highest, but it definitely has a growing population of um, members of the KKK, of a, a famously Christian sect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not necessarily the government doing it in that case either. Right. I think that's an interesting example of like a group that like projects that they are being persecuted and like owns that persecution as a part of their identity. That often creates like the oppression or persecution of another people group or like helps amplify it. Oh, it perpetuates it, right? Like you being mm-hmm. afraid of it or you making it part of your identity you inevitably make that become a reality for someone else by your actions. Right. Right. Because I think like inherent in the persecution diagram is the othering of another person. Yeah. Right. Like those people are persecuting or oppressing us. Right. I think that's, I think that's essential. I think the other thing that's intriguing to me is that the time that Jesus was having a following, he was very, aware of the fact that they were under military occupation. Mm -hmm. Like that is like such an obvious form of oppression of the people group. Like it's not as like interpretive or like read between the lines. Like these people are a little marginalized. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that's, it's so overt. And uh, he does say some somewhat controversial things about the state, but it's more like, don't be like, you're not primarily loyal to the state. It's not like, as revolutionary as like some other people thought the Messiah was going to be. Well, I would almost say that it is. Okay. Just, I, I even think just the mere fact of someone consistently saying you don't have to follow in this way. It's not necessarily that he was, you know, big and grand about it all the time. I think it was the fact that he didn't back down and he Mm. wasn't, pushed around or pushed aside by those authorities, I think spoke volumes. And I think that in itself was powerful. And maybe Mm. that was enough. Mm. Because I just think how easy it is to say, I disagree with something, to have your voice silenced, and then to never be heard from again. But that didn't happen with Jesus, in, in my opinion. You know, like, he kept at it, he kept at it, he kept at it. It took him dying you know like here's a man who hung on a cross type situation but even after that you know we still saw people who then kind of took up the mantle and were like yeah no this dude like he was right Mm. now i'm curious to know the words oppression and persecution in other languages like ancient Mm. right because like the bible does talk about those subjects Mm -hmm. like it doesn't ignore Mm -hmm. it And I think maybe that's why it's interesting to me that different types of Christian, especially like even just within America, like seem to identify with different angles of that topic. Mm. 
or even if they like they identify as like the oppressed or persecuted like the the subsequent action that happens is often very different like some groups are very liberative or liberative is that a word like focused on liberation and like the like the empowerment and strengthening of the oppressed and then others are more um, like defiant of the system so I, this isn't like a quiz, like, yes, you're wrong or no, you're, you know, whatever. I just want to know when you hear the word oppressed, what do you think of? Like, how would you define the word oppressed? I think of someone who was set up for failure from the beginning outside of their control. Like they've never been able to get up on their own two feet. Mm. They, if you wanted to boil it down to like the specifics of quality of life, I guess I would say like really struggles to make a living for oneself and probably can't accomplish 50% of what the social expectations are for being a human in the modern day. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. What about you, Stephen? Yeah, I think I probably view oppression more in that systemic, like not accidental, I wouldn't want to mm-hmm. say, but definitely something that is is harder to pinpoint to an individual. Whereas I think when I think of persecution, I, I, you know, in the same way, like I, I think of Saul when I think of persecution, right? Because of his mm-hmm. actions in the book of Acts. And like, I, I think persecution betrays the motive of specific people. Like I, mm. the way I would say it is like the Jewish community was not oppressed during World War II. They were persecuted because mm. someone had malicious intent behind their actions toward the community right so here's something interesting when we think of the word oppressed which i love both of your definitions this might either enhance or change your understanding of the word when we look at how it's used um, in the bible so when we think of the word oppressed one of the words that comes up is cataponio which is to wear down and Um, How it's used is exhaust by labor or suffering to wear out, to overpower, or to oppress. Mm. You know, coming from the word kata, or down, or against, and then coming from the word ponos, meaning labor, toil, pain, anguish, distress, suffering. And I think that, for me, totally changes how I see oppression. Mm. Um, Mm. Could you read the words... Under ponos again? Under ponos? Yeah. Um, so we have uh, labor, toil, pain, anguish, distress, and suffering. Oh, wow. So what I have done a considerable amount in the last few years is rethink my conceptions of hell and like it being something afterlife, something like a now reality in the same way Jesus talks about kingdom of heaven is now and not later. The whole message wasn't about just like follow me so you can get to heaven when you die, but it's make the kingdom of God happen. Now the, like the words you describe under ponos there, the Greek word ponos, like Mm -hmm. those words I now associate with what hell is suffering, Mm -hmm. anguish, and wow, like, I guess, I guess I'm enjoying my sense of like confirmation right now of like, ah, yes, like hell is something that happens right? today to oppressed people. Right. Exactly. That makes so much sense to me. And then like, so when I say 
like when I'm reciting and praying the Apostles' Creed and I say he descended to the dead, and then the, the, the beautiful images of all the paintings and the icons of him like leading Adam and Eve out of Hades, right? And like with people behind him, right? Liberating people out of hell. That's, that's what we're called to do, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And we're called to do that today and not necessarily like save people from hell by having them say the sinner's prayer, but like to effectively and to uh, engage the actual world around us today so that less of the world looks like hell and to liberate mm-hmm. op- oppressed people in our own counties, states, cities, countries, everything like that. So, sorry, and that come for the word. No, that was good. Go ahead. For the word persecution, one of the ways it's used is, uh, man, this totally also just changes everything. Um, so, diogmus, which is like to speak of chasing like to actually pursue someone Mm -hmm. um and how they literally translate it is the hunt the hunt to bring someone down that can you just imagine like that description like being applied like in your case Stephen, like to the holocaust Mm -hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. these people were hunted yeah as if they were deer in hunting season like Mm -hmm. in montana or wyoming Mm -hmm. that is just heartbreaking to put that type of definition like that type of understanding of that word into situations where human lives are at stake you know i think now having a ancient understanding of those words josh i would say that those two words are definitely on the same coin for sure yeah there's there's something about intent behind it though right the hunt versus just to be under suffering or to be under anguish. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, to me, I just want to (laughs) like, I don't know why I just wanted to do this, but I wanted to soften it by saying like in the most loving way possible. I just want to like shake Sean Foyt by the shoulders and be like, are you either of these? Are you actually either of these? Are you being Mm -hmm. actively hunted for what you're doing? I would argue Mm -hmm. no. If anything, you're using it to build your own platform because you clearly want to run for office soon. Or are you actually under anguish? Because, okay, so here's the thing that probably is what most people call foul on when other people groups or individuals even call oppression is that because what I'm doing right now to Sean Foyt is like, are you actually suffering for anything? Are you actually under anguish? Mm-hmm. Are you actually like paying the price for anything or like under the boot of any kind of real oppression? Or are you just trying to claim that as a badge to like make your followers more excited by you? You know, because like, oh, no. Oh, our oppressed prophet who's getting up there with his guitar and like people are coming to his anti or counter protests or whatever. Like. <laughs> Are you actually that? So, like, I guess in the same way that I'm doing that to him, I guess other people would say, like, oh, come on, are black people actually oppressed? And, like, so I'm guilty of doing the same thing. But, like, I think oppression Mm. in particular in our country right now, in the conversations that are being had, oppression gets sticky because there there is a sense of, like, uh, proving, I don't know, confirming that something is happening and that someone's not just trying mm-hmm. to claim it for the pity party. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Well, I think what gets me about that is like there's often like a future projection, like we will be persecuted. And it mm, almost like mm-hmm. like almost like trying to eliminate the need for current proof. Rather they're like projecting a trajectory of like if this keeps going, like it's a slippery slope, like we're gonna be hunted down. Well, and like it's like we're next. Mm-hmm. And it's like a fear mongering of persecution. Which is also a load of crap because literally these same people probably went to a liberal arts college where they learned that slippery slope is one of the biggest logical fallacies on the on the planet, <laughs> right? Like right. what? You can't do that mm. to everything. Oh, oh no. The scientific community thinks you should have a vaccine. You are being oppressed, Sean. Oh, God. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like my mind ties the word oppression to like like a history of proof. Like you, mm, see the o- mm-hmm. you see the oppression of a people group over time. Which Christians have never been in America. So f*** off with that. Correct. <laughs> Ooh, we got Stephen fired. I think that I think that uh that drink kicked in. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a second because I I like I feel like my lid is flipped. Like the psychological sense of like I'm just stuck <laughs> and angry right now. So I'm gonna take a second. You guys, you guys keep this thought you, going. You you breathe. Did, you breathe. Th- th- okay, so there's an aspect of Christianity tied up in the persecution thing that I think. I don't know for sure, but I think it's uniquely American. The whole martyr fantasy. Do you feel like either of you experienced that growing um, up? Maybe I, I'd have to actually like really sit and think on that. Like initially my gut reaction is to say no, but maybe I have. Sure. You know, and maybe that's just something that is unconsciously a part of my upbringing whether it's like through teachings or you know what or experiences whatever the case may be but maybe i did 100 percent. yeah so really i um probably age 13 read the jesus freak book um oh yeah that was big that it was yes yeah it was the uh the guys in dc talk just like compiled all these stories of famous martyrs throughout the ages and i read that cover to cover man and like i think they put out a second one that i read or at least it was a book that was very similar book of the martyrs i think was another title anyway um so i was all into this especially like late middle school early high school because i felt a tremendous amount of pressure coming from homeschool to public school and I felt like I was going to be Laurel High School's, like, John the Baptist, Stephen the Baptist, <laughs> as it were. Like, I legitimately... You were going to get beheaded at See You at the Pole. Okay, so I had I had fantasies, <laughs> and I actually tried it for a while with some friends. We I basically tried to make See You at the Pole a daily thing. Oh, that is dedication, my with, friend. And it lasted two whole weeks um, until, wow. until it was only me showing up, and then I was like, well, th- now this is embarrassing. But there's something about, like, you're not embarrassed if there's enough people showing up, which I know is what Sean Foyt is exploiting when he does his stupid concerts. <laughs> but, so, I, I legitimately tried doing that for a while, and I also had an idea of, like, with our youth group kind of doing, like, this big evangelism thing where, like, I had done a bunch of prep on, like, 
here are the literal scripts you can use to like lead people to Jesus or whatever. And then one day, wow, I haven't thought about this in so long. You guys, this is very weird for me, but one day I had a, uh, or one night I had an actual dream that I like was like preaching out in the, on the front doors or something, or like on a bench somewhere. And that I, uh, in my dream, I had done this enough and gotten literal detention for it because <laughs> I was just making a fantasy out of it, of course. So in my dream, I got like full on expelled from Laurel <laughs> High School. And then my dream ended with me being like literally applauded by my whole church for like standing up for Jesus or whatever. Um, Boy, I don't know how to feel about that right now. That's kind of embarrassing. Um, But... I, I, it was all fueled by this Jesus freak book, by this DC talk book that was all about like, you have to be brave. You have to be fearless in the face of people who hate Jesus. And it just, it kind of sets up this whole paradigm of like, uh, if you're, if you're not this type of Christian, then you are like, you are an actual enemy of God. If you wouldn't that- die for Jesus, do you even love jesus <laughs> if and you wouldn't die Steven for and jesus I became friends. would you live for jesus yeah Ooh, whatever bleh. do you even live for jesus very bad okay we're gonna take a quick break to say a few thank yous then we'll be back to our conversation thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast y'all are such a huge encouragement to us if you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash RavelPod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick word from our sister show, Author's Intent. There's just, there's just so much. There's just so much that's different. It's the same story in essence. It's like they boiled it down and they made a LaCroix, a Beauty and the Beast LaCroix. Like they, the story is still somewhat present in the movies, but you're not going to get the full flavor of it unless you read it. And now back to the conversation. You know, I forgot about the Jesus Freaks book, but the other thing that I think might have been a correlation in the growth of that mindset for our generation was Columbine. Oh, yeah. Because that famous example about like them asking the girl if she believed in God, that didn't happen. But like it kept getting told as if it happened. And I think that that just perpetuated this idea that like, the atheists are coming to oppress us. Like, they're going to kill us all. Mm-hmm. Also pretty wild, I, the movement yeah. that was inspired, like, after that. I mean, like, is there any better example of a nonviolent reaction to, in the face of literal death, at like, at gunpoint, if you're able to nonviolently say, like, yes, I believe in Jesus, and they shoot you and you die. Is there any better example for that? Like, as as a pacifist myself, we've had this conversation. I think the episode was called uh, The Gunslinging Savior. 
but like as a pacifist myself, like Columbine does not inspire me to go like buy a gun, but for millions of people in America, that was the thing that like made the NRA what it is today and like made our obsession with guns what it is today. And yeah, and it's like flipped the script from you have to be willing to die to like they're not going to take us. Yeah, Mm. right. Mm -hmm. And like, Mm -hmm. which was exactly what Peter was thinking when he tried to chop a dude's head off. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Jesus directly repudiates that. He's like, no, this is not how we do things. I think that's what like gets me about this persecution complex parade is like either you want to be persecuted or you don't like you can't can't be that's what i was just gonna say right you can't (laughs) there's there is no possible way to do both it it has to be one or the other and no one's gonna choose like no one's gonna want to be persecuted but then it also sounds bad to say that they want to persecute people (laughs) like but you can't do uh, now I'm mad. Because from what I can tell, Jesus didn't persecute anyone. Like his people group persecuted the um, Samaritans. Did he? No. And if you claim to follow this guy who like offers a, first a drink and then like a, a, a full transformation of her life at the well, right? Like the Samaritan woman and like makes a Samaritan the hero of one of his stories. That that would be I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. Gosh dang it, I'm back. <laughs> the whiskey got to him. The whiskey no. is persecuting him. <laughs> I don't think it's affecting me that much, to be honest. I'm just I kidding. Just you <laughs> apparently this is a topic I care a lot about, but I haven't done a lot of thinking about it. <sighs> oh, this other thought that I just had when you were mentioning the Jesus freaks thing is that Catholic and Orthodox traditions focus a lot on sainthood, but not all saints are martyrs. And mm-hmm. I think that the equivalent in the Protestant world is to focus more on martyrs and missionaries, like current or like recent, that were either martyred or like heavily persecuted and like mm-hmm. went up against mm-hmm. a whole lot of heck to get the gospel out there. When like none of the saints did just that. Mm. Like most of the saints were doing like charitable work or like doing something amazing in the face of great evil. And some of them got martyred, but like not most of them. But like, I feel like growing up just like between the, the stories of missionary work I heard or like some of the Christian books I would read, like there was definitely an emphasis on not just being martyred or like willing to be martyred, but being willing to be actively persecuted for your faith. But like, man, I don't know, like some adults wrote that, like what world were they living in that they thought that that was a reality? (laughs) You know, like adults wrote that. (laughs) It's wow. That is so true. Like I'm willing to admit North Korea exists right now, you know, but Mm -hmm. outside of North Korea, where are the persecuted Christians right now? Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's weird. A lot of people in America like to talk about the persecution of like Uyghur Muslims in China. Mm-hmm. But like, but also those same people wouldn't want those Muslims living in our counties. Right. Yeah. But uh, maybe that's maybe that just serves as a convenient cautionary tale of like, see, see what happens when a, an authoritarian government like starts coming for religious freedom. 
They don't care about the people. They care about their rights, which I would argue is a very anti-Jesus thing. He completely did not care about the rights of anyone. He cared about the people themselves. Well, isn't that kind of caring about the rights, though? Well, like he's doing both. Yeah, like 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 Jesus definitely humanized some people. Mm, Yeah. And like cared about their dignity outside of their actions. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like woman caught in adultery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess he he also does in a way like validate like the Roman centurion, right? His faith of like healing his daughter. But at the same time, he's he's radically calling his disciples to like give up everything to follow him and included in everything. Like I feel like we could retell the parable of the rich young ruler, but we could do it to a, a rich young I- idealistic libertarian in america and like jesus would say like okay good you've done all these things now like go give up your right to free speech or a gun or anything like that and that man would go away sad because that's actually what he worships Hmm. what do you think causes the tendency of some christians to just like ignore or not come to terms with the literal oppression of some people whether or not they have a persecution complex. Like, for instance, like we've talked about women pastors before. Like, definitely a lot of Christians see the inability of women to become pastors and leaders in some traditions as a form of oppression. Mm. But, like, other people don't. And, like, I think that we, we should admit that there is some interpretation to oppression in some ways. But, like, also, if, like, someone says they're being bullied, they're being bullied. Like. The intentions kind of don't matter. Like if someone feels bullied, Mm -hmm. you know, like I maybe I don't know why like bullying like feels like somewhat of a synonym to me for oppression, but it kind of does. Pretty good comparison, yeah. But like what? Like what is that? Like why would you want to deny someone when they're like, I feel like I'm being unfairly treated? Why would you like say like, well, no, you're not. I'm being unfairly treated. I don't know. I just don't mm. get that. Like, I don't mm. see the mental switch there. Are they afraid that the bar is going to start being set too low or too high? Oh, in terms of, like, the definition? Yeah. Maybe. Like, well, you can't call everything oppression because then, you know, like, you can't cheapen the word. I feel like some people have that take when it comes to trauma. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like, you see a tweet, you're like, and <laughs> the person tweets like, I feel like I've seen the word trauma like 20 times more than I have in recent years. And like, my thought is like, yeah, we're actually calling it what it is. But uh, uh, maybe they just have a, like, they want the operating definition of trauma to be a lot more severe. Mm, yeah, like mm. worst of the worst. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. So like maybe the corollary to oppression is like, well, you can't, you can't just call like being bullied oppressed. Like that's just one bully who's like, who we know is also insecure and he's taking it out on other people to try and deflect, you know, but that it, it all just starts feeling like gaslighting when you're asking or when you're subjecting someone else to your standard or definition of what oppression is when you have no idea what the rest of their life is like. Hmm. Like, I think of, like, Believe Women, right, with Me Too. Why why couldn't our base of operation be like, okay, let's take this very seriously until proven otherwise? Hmm. Emily, I want to hear more from you. You've had, like, a couple good, like, weigh-ins, but I'm really curious what you're thinking about in terms of 
oppression, persecution, how it relates to modern Christianity, and maybe even how it relates to post-Christianity? Hmm. I'm paused only because I'm trying to I'm trying to wrap my head. You know, I'm I'm coming from an interesting perspective where as a white individual, you know, I I inherently just have a lot of power and I could either use it for good or not. And oftentimes I catch myself not using it for good when I don't speak up for those who are being persecuted or those who are oppressed. Like my silence is perpetuating it, you know? So it's almost like by not standing up for the hunted, I'm participating with the hunters inactively. Mm. But on the other side of that, I am part of a group that has been (laughs) oppressed or silenced as a woman, you know, and being told that my body is not my own and, you know, I need to respect my husband above all things and I am merely property. And now having those coincide as a woman who now holds authority as a pastor, where what we were just speaking to oftentimes in some religious contexts, that is a no-go. I would not be welcomed, let alone even be allowed to be at the pulpit. I think as Christians, we have a serious task of looking at the brutal history that is what our role, as in all of Christians, like <laughs> we've talked about the Crusades and all that. What about those moments, though, that we didn't actively participate, but we didn't stop it either? And is that just as bad as those who were actively participating in the Crusades? You know, I'm sure there probably were some people. And maybe this is me wearing rose-colored glasses. I'm sure there were some people, though, who thought, yeah, no, this isn't really like a good idea. This doesn't really sound like the way of Jesus. But they didn't stop the Crusades. And I think that is just as bad. And, you know, we want to say that we stand up for you know, these marginalized people and we say that we're advocates and we say that we're you know, willing to do all these things, but then when we don't, or we very minimally participate in advocacy, we really are just perpetuating that harm. And we are now part of the hunters. Like we are now persecuting (laughs) without actually realizing that we're doing it. And that's something that like I'm calling myself out on as well is like I I want to be more intentional about that. When I say like I stand up for my LGBTQIA plus siblings, like I will actually like be a voice and ensure that I continue to do that and not just actively sit by and say in my head that I'm an advocate, you know, for and I'm thinking even just like in the Methodist church in general. With this debate that we have going on, there are people in our own denomination who are being persecuted and oppressed. (laughs) But when we just sit by and let it happen, that just hurts. And so I think as Christians, we have a serious task of saying, 
are we actively engaging? If not, cool. But are you actively on the other side? Like, are you actually being with those who are oppressed and those who are persecuted and trying to do your best to ensure that that doesn't continue? Because if you're not, then you might as well be on the on the side of the persecutors and the hunters. Because that's what we're doing when we don't stand up for those who are being hunted, those who are being worn down and living in anguish. And it just it just makes me really sad. Mm. <laughs> and I don't I hate that feeling. You know I do. I really hate that feeling, but it's a reality that we have been a part of and exposed to for a very, very long time. And I don't know if we will ever escape that, truly. And that is also what makes me sad. I think it's unfortunately a part of our reality that we will never be able to fully shake off. I think something that can be particularly paralyzing is when an individual like me, especially, is like, not knowing exactly what should be done and beyond that, what could be done. Because a lot of the times things that I would like to say, I, I stand up for people who are under like an oppressive system. I don't know what to tangibly do to, I don't know, break my silence or something. I mean, like, I suppose like us putting a podcast out is, is part of the work, right? Like maybe we're, we are literally breaking silence by talking about breaking silence. But but beyond that, you know, like it, there's something tangible for me to do when I say I I affirm and stand by LGBTQ members because my wife is one. Right. And I get to mm-hmm. like stand next to her and have the conversations with people who would hold a different belief than us. But then other things feel so far removed and I don't necessarily know how to stand with or stand against things that I have a problem with, you know, cause I don't think a tweet does anything. So I, I think that's a, that can be a particular challenge. I am curious though, uh, if you guys would indulge me to, ki- to keep exploring the idea of like silence itself is complicity. Cause this is an idea I still find challenging and I, I don't know. I don't know something about it. Just like, maybe I just don't want to accept, accept the responsibility for you know where I have been silent but I guess the example I can think of is like was Jesus complicit in the actions of Rome by not preaching against Rome more hmm. I hope you've saved a hot take for the end because I think I have one that you've just like kind of helped me find the words for I think that if you're going to call yourself a Christian or a Jesus follower or finding the the meaning along the way as you like ravel out your beliefs, like whatever, whatever you want to call yourself. I think that you should almost always, if not always, side on the side of the oppressed and the persecuted, regardless of whether or not you disagree with them. Like, even if you think being gay is a sin, it should be so painfully obvious that gay people are oppressed and silenced and much more likely to suffer in their daily life. And Mm. you should side with them. Like, it doesn't matter if you disagree with them. You should figure out how to come alongside them and love them and just help them. Mm. Or like, or like, uh, you, you got me thinking earlier about, 
um, being willing to die for your faith. Like if you value that, then you should value that for other faiths. Like the Muslim mm. that's willing to die for their faith, you should like hold them up as a hero and be like, look how like look how much more they believed than I did. If you like, you truly value that. Like it doesn't matter how you feel about what someone else believes. Like if you're gonna take the words of Jesus seriously and like how he acted towards Samaritans or like the proverb about um, stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Mm-hmm. Like if you really believe in love and transformation, then it shouldn't matter if you disagree with the oppressed, like they're oppressed. <laughs> hmm. My hot take, and I can't believe I'm just now thinking this. Um, so on the day that we're recording this is uh, Christ the King or what is now referred to as Reign of Christ Sunday. It's the last Sunday of the liturgical year. And in thinking back on my sermon today, I used the scripture of Pilate and Jesus talking. Uh, it was actually from the lectionary. And it was, you know, Pilate saying, so are you like really a king? And, you know, Jesus saying, you say I'm a king, blah, blah, blah. We like, we already, we already know this story. But in thinking about what Jesus is saying when he says, like, I come, I speak of the truth. I think that truth of what he was speaking to totally fits with this topic for today. Like speaking up for those who are oppressed, like actually being with and standing by those who are oppressed. Like that is truth. That is a way that leads and lives by example of who Jesus was. I think you're absolutely right, Josh. Like we should always stand for the oppressed and be with them. And I think Reign of Christ Sunday totally just captures that. We see a man who did that and walked among us and showed us that we could have some differences, that we don't have to agree 100%, but we could still stand together and we could stand for those who are being put down, who are being hunted who are living in anguish and and to know that they're not alone and they could have someone on their side always and the hard part is to choose to do it and to say that you'll do it Mm. so yeah that just totally like lit a fire under my butt uh and i really just enjoyed this topic too a lot so thank you josh yeah many time is it a question of knowledge because I, I want to come back to the silence question for me, because like, Emily, what you got me thinking of is on on uh, Reign of Christ Sunday, right? Talking about Pontius Pilate, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So in, in the same Apostles' Creed, I pray, is like he suffered under Pontius Pilate, though Pontius Pilate was the one who famously said, like, I wash my hands of this. I have nothing to do with mm-hmm. this. So are, are what we're saying when we say silence is complicity is like... Pontius Pilate was well aware of what he was doing when he tried to wash his hands of it. So, so I still pray 2000 years later that like Jesus Christ, my Lord suffered under Pontius Pilate because Pilate was aware of what was happening unjustly to an innocent man and yet did nothing. Yeah. That's what we're saying. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I think there's room in that statement to, for something about legitimate ignorance like when somebody truly doesn't know, like they've remained silent on a topic either because they haven't 
Yeah, because I don't I don't know. Would we want to push it so far as like, well, you know that there's something going on in 2020 after the death of George Floyd and the fact that you haven't done the work to learn about it, that also falls in the same category. I mean, I I would say yes, Mm -hmm. only because we've been hearing people (laughs) for years and years say like. Hi, here's like here's yet another example and the fact that we have technology and means to do research and to see hmm. what it is that they're talking about. I mean, you would have to literally be living on a remote island and have no access to any of this in order to basically like be truthfully I mean, ignorant of it, like not right. know what's going on. Exactly. Like the phrase is like, have you been living under a rock? Like, where have you been this whole time? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I hear that. That's helpful. Especially like, I feel like my breakthrough there was like Pontius Pilate being someone who famously did not want to be involved. And now he is mm-hmm. eternally famous in the words of the Apostles Creed for not a great reputation either. Right. And we even see that, though, like in the scripture itself, when, you know, in the conversation, you know, Jesus, here's Pilate, says, oh, so are are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, well, you say I'm a king. And Pilate's response just shows right there that he's not a, like he is not stupid. He says, well, I am not a Jew. Like he's not saying that to remind Jesus or to prove to Jesus I read that response and that right there just shows me that Pilate is fully aware of what's happening. And in that moment when he says he washes his hands of this situation, that's him using his authority and his privilege to say, I'm going to allow this to still continue. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. I see that. Well, thanks for helping me um, just kind of interrogate oppression and persecution i mean i know we didn't even like crunch the tip of the iceberg with this conversation because there's obviously like so many different things we could talk about in terms of christianity and these topics but i appreciated the discussion so thank you that's a classic Mm -hmm. ravel experience right there it is (laughs) any last thoughts any last words any uh epiphanies any hot takes at the end are we done i think we're done I think we, yeah. I, I have ridden an emotional roller coaster and I'm actually feeling tired from it. So, <laughs> oh, sad bye, sad bye. Take rest. Well, if people want to uh, persecute us further, they can persecute us over on patreon.com slash Ravel Podcast, where right. um, we will feel increasingly persecuted if you donate to us monthly. So, wow. Yeah. Hunted. <laughs> we feel quite mm. hunted. Hunted every month. But <laughs> yeah. that was a. I don't. Okay. <laughs> um, Emily, <laughs> Emily, do you have a uh, a closing thought for us? A benediction, a prayer, a a quote, uh, a charge. You know, I have a I have a prayer. Uh, okay. You know, I u- I usually do like a benediction, but after this conversation, I just want to leave with a prayer. So, like, would it be cool if I prayed? <laughs> oh yes, please. hold up hold up have we ever prayed on the podcast i don't think so no i don't think we have what is this episode 65 65 (laughs) four more to go okay so wow we've made it 65 episodes until we prayed publicly 
Yeah. Yeah. I just feel moved to pray. So, okay. Uh, I don't think the three of us have prayed together before. No, I don't think no, so. We haven't. Have we talked about my weird feelings about prayer in an episode before? I can't remember. We talked we a lot have, about yes. my weird feelings okay. about prayer before, at least. That's right. Yes. Problems with prayer was the episode, but yeah. Now you get to indulge me and we get to pray. Here so okay. just be how you are most comfortable. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this opportunity that we get to gather together and to discern and to dive and to tear apart these very messy and complicated issues we as imperfectly perfect people ravel with every day. We know that we have just scathed the top of this topic, and we know that there is so much more to dive into and to explore. But we give you thanks that we have this fellowship and this community that we get to be a part of and to do so with together. Um, the more we gather and the more that we do this, we know that you continue to be present with us and that we continue to grow and to figure out who we are and who we're called to be and how we can continue to explore and to share in each other's journeys and share in each other's sadness and grief and joy and to know that we are truly called to be in community and to stand for the oppressed and to walk humbly with you. We lift this all up graciously in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dixie Lee Henning, and this is Author's Intent. You know how you have friends, and sometimes those friends are like, hey, have you seen this movie? And then you're like, well, I, I think the book's better. And then you guys get into an argument, and then you stop being friends because of their totally wrong opinions. Well, I liked that feeling so much that I decided to make a podcast about it. So I put in the work, I read the books, I watch the movies, and I tell you the differences between the two, and... You know, you can still be friends with that with that friend who thinks that the Hobbit movies are good. They're not. They're not good. But you can stay friends. I'm essentially a mediator in the friend space, you know? I'm here so that you can stay friends with those people, despite their horrible opinions about books and movies. So, you're welcome. Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.